TCU blows the doors off of BYU 44-11 to in surprising fashion with a new QB1. Plus, TCU Hoops is closing in on a top 10 recruiting class for 2024. All that and more on this episode of Frogs Insider right now. Welcome in to another episode of Frogs Insider. Jamie Plunkett here, as always, with Melissa Trewasser. Melissa, it's been a minute since we've done one of these after a TCU win. Yeah. It feels like it's been a long time. I know it's only really been three weeks or so, but hey, a 44-11 to win over BYU is not something to scoff at, uh, and I'm excited to jump into that with you tonight because I think this is maybe a sign that things are starting to turn around for the frogs. I mean, I will say at the very least, the vibes are back, man. Like Mm -hmm. even in TCU's wins, there, there has been a little unsettling feeling, a little uncertainty, um, you know, a lot of question marks still, and there's still like without a doubt question marks here, but um this BYU team is not a world beater by any stretch of the imagination, but they were four and one. Mm-hmm. They had a win in Fayetteville against an Arkansas team that that took Alabama to the brink. And we won't talk too much about that because I don't want to get you upset again. Um, uh, the, the Arkansas philosophy mirrored TC philosophy and, you know, don't take the easy way to get a yard, but that's neither here nor there. Um, it's a BYU team that that has some holes and has some weaknesses, but it, it's a team that had found ways to win games and had shown a pretty explosive passing attack for the most part. And TCU really put together a very complete game, though not the game plan that I think either you or I had on our bingo cards, uh, especially on the offensive side of the ball. No, I wrote about it on Horn Frog Blitz last week that I thought there was a really great way to support Josh Hoover in his first ever start, and that was to use a lot of Amani Bailey. Amani Bailey yeah. ran the ball exactly 13 times, and in fact, I think TCU would only run the ball eight total times by halftime of this game. Uh, Sunny Dykes got into that a little bit in post-game two, talking about how BYU's defensive front, they like to load the box, one high safety, that kind of stuff, that it, it really kind of baits the offense into throwing the football more. TCU played into that, and it worked out in their favor to the tune of you know 439 passing yards and four touchdowns for, for the redshirt freshman in his first start. But uh, Melissa, before we jump too far in, I do want to re- remember to do all of our podcast business and shout out yes. the Republic of Football Network over at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, of which we are a part, and we're very grateful to be a part of that network. Uh, you can find that podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts, Spotify podcasts, Apple podcasts, wherever. I don't know what the other things are for podcasts these days. I'm old officially now. Officially now. Yes. Officially old now. Um, As if you weren't before, but okay. True. Yeah. My back didn't spaz out, what, two weeks ago? So, anywho, um, shout out to the Republic of Football Network. Find them wherever you get your podcasts. Hit the subscribe button, leave a rating and review. You'll get our show there. You'll get shows like Gambling Gout Shows, Between Two Bears. There's a BYU. No, there's not. There's a, this is a, this is a Texas, Texas, a state of Texas network that I should be doing a better job of representing in these moments, but we're just going to move on. Um, if you want just the Frogs Insider feed, you can find those wherever you get your podcasts as well. Just by typing in Frogs Insider, you'll see our logo and you can subscribe right there. Also, big shout out to Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods and Homefield Apparel, who we will talk more about later in the show, our two fabulous sponsors of this podcast. Melissa, Josh Hoover attempted 57 passes. Yeah. He completed 37 of them, or was it 58 passes and 58. completed 37 of them? He also had a 26-yard run on third and 10. And uh, I clipped together pretty much all of his completions in his run, and I posted that on Twitter earlier on Sunday. I think the thing that I was most impressed by, beyond just the volume of pass attempts, was how easily he seemed to make his way through his reads and still get the ball out on time to an open receiver. One example that really stood out to me was when TCU went in the red zone 
to a diamond formation out to their right. This is moments after you almost got run over by Jared Wiley on the sideline. Which was terrifying. (laughs) Which is in the clip that I posted on Twitter. If you go and see it today, folks, when you see Jared Wiley extend for the pylon and roll into a photographer near the wall, that's Melissa. So I watched the clip. Um, I think I must have blacked out during that one because I did not notice that. Now, I will say, unlike my last close encounter on the sideline, this time I was able to move up out of the way. Um, yes. been working on my fitness and it helped. So there you go. You got those, you you got, go. you've been doing the, the ladder, ladder, yeah, drill, ladder right? drills, all with the football practice, all drills and things. stuff. Yeah, That's yeah. good. But, uh, so uh, shortly after that, Jared Wiley non-touchdown, they went diamond formation to the right with Jared Wiley kind of at the point of that. And then they isolated Savion Williams on the other side of the formation out wide to the left. And this is, this is something that I think is overlooked a lot but is really important. And that's what a quarterback does with an eye with his eyes before he lets go of the football. And what Josh Hoover did on this play was he took his drop. He looked to the right. He stuck his vision to the right for a second, just long enough to draw the linebackers over to that side, draw the safety over to that side. And then he turned and he fired a dot to Savion in the end zone on his back hip to keep the linebacker out of the play. Perfect throw, great adjustment to the ball by Savion Williams to get the catch and the touchdown. And that was just a really grown-up football play from Josh Hoover, the redshirt freshman. And he did stuff like that all day, and it was super impressive. Well, and I think that what we learned about him in post-game kind of put verbiage to what we saw on the field, right? Mm-hmm. And that to a person from the head coach to – um, you know, his his favorite target on Saturday, J.P. Richardson, they all said that this kid prepares like he's the starter every single week and has since the moment he arrived on campus. And mm-hmm. you hear that a lot. I mean, especially with the quarterback, especially with the young quarterback you're trying to build up is or, you know, your backup quarterback. Oh, they always prepare like they're the starter. But you hear it and then maybe the results on the field don't show it. When you can see a redshirt freshman, his first career start that dropped back 58 times make those throws and those reads and go through those progressions. And and what I, what I brought up to you in the press box and what I really enjoyed was how he was so able to throw off schedule too, yes. you know, and, and, and make adjustments and still make the right type of throw in the moment and make the right read in the moment. Um, he didn't, I mean, he made maybe one bad decision all day on, on that interception. And it wasn't even really a bad decision. It was more just kind of a bad throw. Um, you know, and I think that was on his, um, his, first interception, maybe a second interception where he just kind of overthrew. Um, I can't remember who it was in the center of the field, um, but it was just a bad throw. And maybe, maybe he didn't see uh, the, the safety or whoever was there to kind of drop back in there. Um, but consistently he, he knew where guys were going to be, which is super impressive for a backup quarterback with really one week of working with the ones he got the ball. He put the ball exactly where it needed to be to meet those guys where they were going. And he threw the right kind of ball, even if he was a little bit off schedule, a little bit off balance or, you know, kind of on the move. He was really great about setting his feet, not throwing off his back foot and and just getting an arm slot that he did have several balls batted down, but, mm-hmm. but getting an arm slot that enabled him to deliver a, an on target pass and, my favorite play of the game, and he got asked about this quite a few times um, in the press conference as well, was that sideline dime to J.P. Richardson where he dropped it in the absolute basket of, of J.P. Yes. Um, in a really critical moment and, and kind of just to to kind of put the stamp on this one and, and you know, completely, you know, sign, seal, and deliver a, a TCU win. Um, just, just an outstanding play that you don't – a throw we haven't seen at TCU in a really, really long time. Um, there's just not a lot – like even Max as great as he was last year – that's not a throw we saw him make very often, if, if at all. Um, it, maybe, maybe Andy peak Andy Dalton is the last time I've seen that kind of ball placement, um, mm-hmm. you know, not, not to a six foot five freak, but, but to a smaller speed receiver where it had to be in the exact right spot. Um, it just his, his poise, um, his poise in this pocket. Uh, I love the way he slid up in the pocket. Mm-hmm. You know, he only ran one time, but he was constantly, sliding up and, and you know I, I guess this leads to the next point is it also helps if you drop back 58 times and your uniform never gets dirty because he was never really pressured five, <laughs> he was never sacked five know? total pressures from BYU in this game no sacks only two quarterback hurries uh and he's uh, I mean Hoover said it right out of the gate the offensive line did a phenomenal job pass blocking in this game an absolutely phenomenal job 
Yeah, and and BYU's pass rush is terrible, but sure, if you drop back fifty eight times, you'd expect, especially with the way TCU's you know pass blocking has been kind of up and down, you expect there to be a little bit more pressure generated just by sheer volume, and that never happened. Mm-hmm. Um, that I, I should turn this over to you now because there were so many times you said, "Oh my God, what a pickup by Amani Bailey," who, despite the fact he only rushed thirteen do- times played a critical, critical role in the overall success of the game plan. I have harped on it for weeks now. And all the way going back to when people were complaining about Amari, uh, Amari Di Mercado being on the field mm-hmm. of, uh, I, and I, I have to say, I admit right in this moment where w- when TCU still had Zach Evans and Kendra Miller, both on the roster and Amari Di Mercado was the third down back. There were some grievances, I think that were being aired in certain group texts and in the press box about why is this the guy that they're going with. And and frankly, it was because Amar- uh, Di Mercado was the best blocking running back on the team at that point. Yeah. And we saw Amani Bailey do his best Amari Di Mercado impression multiple times on Saturday, picking up blip- blitzers, chipping guys on the edge, doing whatever he needed to do in the pass protection game to keep Josh Hooper upright. And uh, it, it had a huge impact on this game because there were multiple times where a blister was coming free and Amani Bailey picked him up. Josh Hoover was at the very least able to get the ball out of his hands uh, and avoid a sack. I will say this too, of the 21 incompletions on the day, Melissa, five were batted balls at the line. There were seven dropped passes in this game Yeah, as well. Seven dropped passes. And, you know, you think about the, the type of day Josh Hoover had, and then you think, okay, well, if four of those drops were caught, we're talking about him closing in on a 500-yard passing day in his, yeah. and probably more points on the board as well. So this is, this is one of those wins where Sonny Dykes came into the press conference afterwards and said, hey, we dropped too many passes. We have some other things we need to clean up. Um, but it's always good, I think, and it always feels better as a head coach to go into the week preparing to fix those mistakes when you're coming off of a win like you, like you just got against BYU team. That was 4-1. and one coming into this game. They had gone on the road, like you said, and beaten Arkansas, who refuses to allow KJ Jefferson to run for one yard. And, uh, you know, they they had put together some good wins so far early on in the season. And so this is this is a quality win for TCU. uh, And it's one that hopefully sets them up uh, to get a little bit of forward momentum going into a a tough road game against Kansas State. Well, I think to that point, too, one of the you know, playing a team that maybe struggles in some areas where TCU could use some confidence might be overall a, a part positive part of this experience too. Mm-hmm. And, you know, letting Josh Hoover throw the ball as much as he did, um, you know, showing such great pass protection, um, you know, not having to to take out too many of the bag of tricks out of the run game that you're probably going to need more on the road next week. Um, it really set up well to get a young kid, who, you know, we've seen, you know, come in a couple other times and fumble his first snap, right? And so right. see, see, get him some confidence, let him play, let him have some success. Um, I mean, the guys around him played really hard and I don't want to cliche that either, but man, the, the energy felt different and, and maybe that's getting back home too after a tough ro- a couple, ro- you know, a road line, but the energy felt good. The guys played hard. Um, there was a lot of scrapping for yards after the catch. Uh, mm-hmm. There was a lot of unselfishness. And, and Hoover spoke to that, too. You know, you'd mentioned that Monty Bailey only ran the ball 13 times. He talked about going up to Monty Bailey on the sideline and saying, you're one of the most unselfish dudes I know because there's going to be a week where we need you to run the ball 25 times. And then there's going to be a week where we need you to run it 13 and, and help in pass pro. And I know you're the guy that's going to do both. And, and apparently to, you know, to Monty Bailey's credit, he was completely unbothered by the fact he only got 13 touches. He just wanted to win. And, and that, that attitude, when you see some of your best players have that attitude and you see your quarterback showing that kind of leadership on the sideline uh, that can absolutely change the tenor of a team mm-hmm. and a bunch of guys that have a ton of talent, but hadn't quite bought in. It appeared the first five, six weeks of the season maybe this is a turn the corner kind of moment for this program to where they can get back on track ahead of the hardest part of their schedule. Um, you know, it, it could also be an aberration and a blip and, you know, tougher, mm-hmm. tougher competition comes and, and they kind of come back to earth a little bit. But the cool thing is, is we get to sit here on Sunday night talking about this game and we don't, we don't have to think about anything bad that might happen. We get to enjoy the fact that we saw the TC team. We kind of expected to see back in September mm-hmm. show up for the first time this season, even if it, you know, six weeks later than we, than we wanted. Uh, yeah, and 
like you mentioned, this could be a dead cat's bounce, right? Like we saw in 2021 when Chandler Morris and making his first career start absolutely destroyed Baylor and then went to Oklahoma state the next week and got run out of the building by 40. Yeah. Right. And, and he went down with an injury. Sam Jackson went down with an injury in that game and, and things really, really kind of tailed off from there. So this is just one game and and there is important, there, there is an, uh, an importance to putting some context to that because we don't know what week two is going to hold for Josh Hooper and this offense. But I will say that if the offensive line can find a way to continue pass blocking like they did on Saturday afternoon against BYU, then there is a lot of really good hope for what this offense can do moving forward. Now, run blocking is another thing because there were multiple times where they tried to get Amani Bailey rolling a little bit mm -hmm. and the interior of that offensive line for TCU kind of got blown up. If you go to PFF and, and we've had this debate on, uh, on the, on the boards about how valid are PFF grades and they're certainly not the end all be all, but when I'm looking at an offensive lineman list of pass blocking grades and they're all in the eighties and high seventies versus yeah. run block grades that are all in the mid fifties and low sixties, there is an indicator there that at the very least, we know that TCU did a better job in the pass blocking game than in the run blocking game on Saturday. That's what my eyes saw as well. There were yeah. moments where Amani Bailey couldn't get to the edge because the edge wasn't set. There were moments where Amani was running into the back of his own lineman because there were no holes to run through where he tried to bounce outside and make something happen, but couldn't because the linebackers had recovered at that point because no one had gotten to the second level to pick them up. Right. And so there's there are some things in the running game that we hadn't really seen yet from this offensive line and from this offense that, you know, maybe get overlooked because you win by 33, but are still things that need to get uh, fixed moving forward, because ideally you're not going to ask Josh Hoover to throw 58 passes every game. Yeah. Right. You 45 sounds pretty good. 40 sounds even better with about 18 to 20 carries for Imani Bailey. Uh, and having a balanced offense like that. So um, some things to, to some, definitely some things to work out for this offense too, even though they just put up 44 points and it was fun fact, the first time TCU had scored more points in a game than they had in their previous game this season. Well, I think Jeremy pointed out, you know, at various <laughs> points throughout the game too, that, you know, TCU had like in their last six quarters or whatever, I think they, they, outscored themselves in the first half of that game against BYU and, and were consistently, you know, it, it was, it was a very different offense. It was a very confident offense. Um, we said it, you know, consistently last year watching TCU hope is a dangerous drug and, mm -hmm. and you give a team a hope, especially a team that has talent and, and anything can happen. That being said, um, BYU is empirically the worst defense of the last three teams that they've played. Um, and they will play a very good defense in Kansas State next week. They also play uh, TCU's defense, which, you know, we'll, we'll flip around here and talk about in a second, um, which was exceptional against BYU. Mm -hmm. uh, Kansas State might have the best offensive line in the conference. Uh, five returning starters, very, very veteran group, very senior-laden group. And so um, I, I don't think the stops will come as easy, and the scoring certainly won't for the Horn Frogs. Um so I think it's 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 great to take a lot of enthusiasm and excitement and and you know everybody's kind of on the the Josh Hoover hype train right now and I think that's important for a young quarterback. Mm -hmm. But if he does come back to earth, you know, a, a week from tonight, then then that's I think that that doesn't necessarily mean that he's not capable of winning games for the Horn Frogs. It it just means that now there's some tape on him, there's some film on him. Teams will adjust. Um, and, and I think to your point, if they can't get the run game going in Manhattan going to be a much longer night for Josh Hoover than than Saturday afternoon was in Fort Worth yeah it was it, it, there's no doubt that BYU is not the stiffest of competition on either side of the football but um I, I still do think that any kind of win that you can string together in the midst of an up and down season like this especially against a team that for whatever you want to say was four and one coming into the day uh, we got a text from someone who says, "Is who asked us mid-game, is BYU the worst 4-1 team in the country? <laughs> Maybe, but they're 4-2 now, so so they don't even get to hold that moniker anymore. Um, uh, let's move over to the to the defensive side of the football, though, Melissa. Before we do that, actually, let's, let's plug uh, Hell's Half Acre Stadium Goods. 
Um, Hell's Half Acre is uh, an incredible storefront for TCU apparel, for tailgate goods, whatever you need to get ready for game day, you can find over at Hell's Half Acre Sporting Goods. Hell's Half Acre SG.com is where you need to go. They've, I've, you've heard me mention these on the podcast before. If you're a returning listener, they've got some awesome football polos. They've got some excellent baseball polos. They've got some quarter zips, some some other polos, some shirts, some hats, koozies. Uh, they got a hat back in stock there, Horn Frog script, rope hat that I've been waiting to get back into the store for forever. And I think I probably already missed the opportunity to go back and get it again because it sells out so quickly every time. Um, but they've got some awesome stuff over there. When you're making your purchase, if you can drop in the comments box that you heard about them from Frogs Insider, that would really do us some good. It would do Hell's Half Acre some good as well. Make sure that they feel like they're getting their money's worth for their investment sponsor in the show. Um, so we're very happy to partner with them. HellsHalfAcreSG.com is the place to go for all your game day needs. And make sure you check them out. Also follow them on Twitter at uh, HellsHalfAcreSG. And go to Fort Brewery when you get a chance or any local retailer that sells alcohol and get the Hell's Half Lager because it's delicious and it goes towards supporting um, the Flying Tea Club, which supports student athletes. So Hell's Half Acre is kind of plugged in in a bunch of different ways. And we're just always super excited to, to have partnered with them in this endeavor. Yeah, they're great. They're awesome. We appreciate them. Appreciate all their support. Um, also great and <clears> awesome <throat> and providing tons of support on Saturday was TC defense, yeah. uh, which gave Josh Schuver a seven, nothing lead before he even stepped on the field is Miller Bradford, who had lost his starting job. I think, I think Saturday was actually his first start of the season, mm-hmm. opened the game on, I believe the second play of the game with a pick six, um, great pressure, on Keaton Slovis, uh, the defense was in his face the entire game. It felt like uh, they did an outstanding job of, of collapsing that pocket and creating pressure on BYU's quarterback. Mm-hmm. And the pressure forced some really bad throws. And that throw to Bradford was a tailor-made pick six. He jumped the route, uh, just made an amazing read off, off of the snap, uh, was in the right place at the right time, and housed it before the TCU offense had even taken the field. And uh, you know, you and I had kind of talked as, as I was walking into the stadium, I was surprised at how kind of dead it felt, especially with homecoming and all the, the, the festivities around TCU's 150th anniversary. It was a, a late arriving crowd, but that kind of set the tone and infused some energy into that stadium that that really built as, as the rest of the day went on and made for a really fun environment Saturday afternoon. Um, it was uh, it was a great start. It was great to see that TCU defense continue to create turnovers and, and high leverage plays and give their quarterback, their young quarterback, a ton of confidence before you even had to take a snap. Yeah, it was, it was a great way to get the football game started. And, you know, you talk about uh, Bradford jumping the route and, and getting the football. I, I want to highlight Chad Banks's play mm-hmm. role in that play because he came on a delayed blitz um, found a found a seam and got into Keaton Slovis's face and made contact with him right as he let go of the football. Yeah, and I think that threw off the timing of the play just enough to get Bradford over uh, in, in time to make that pick. So Chad Banks, <clears throat> who has done an absolutely tremendous job filling in for the injured Johnny Hodges over the last couple of weeks, and will have to continue to do so for at least the next couple of weeks. Um, he he's playing incredibly well right now. Some really really good football. Um, and you love to see it because he's using his speed to his advantage in a lot of situations, which we had talked at the beginning of the year about how the linebacking core looked a step slow. Well, you had Chad Banks in there running around and Melissa, you had Marcel Brooks yes, creating some havoc on the defensive side of the ball. And, and I exactly loved the role we all <clears throat> wanted to see him in. Yes. And I loved seeing it because not only did he play, the most snaps he's played, I think, in a TCU uniform. He played, uh, let's see here, 17 total snaps, so not a ton. But he was in coverage on nine of them. And I don't think he allowed a reception all day, right? He was on tight ends. He was on running backs out of the backfield. He covered a slot receiver once or twice. He did a phenomenal job in coverage. And then he did what we love to see him do, which is rush the quarterback a couple times. Yeah. And he got in there and he made life hell for Keaton Slovis once or twice. And he looked like he had energy. He looked like he was out there like the old Marcel. Um, and Sonny Dykes all, looked like he was on the verge of getting a little bit emotional talking about Marcel mm-hmm. in post game when he just said, you know, he's really 
the injury that he's had to come back from is not an easy one to come back from. He's worked so incredibly hard. Uh, and, and Sonny even said, you know, this was the first week where in practice he looked like the old Marcel Brooks. And so to have a guy like that come back at this point in the season, when the defense is starting to ramp up, you get another elite athlete on that side of the football to start causing havoc for opposing offenses. I think that Marcel Brooks could have a huge, huge impact on this thing down the stretch for TCU. And I, for one, am incredibly pumped to see it happen. Well, and there was one play that he was on um, where I, I was in great position to see it, where he was getting held. And um, I can't remember who the, the defensive tackle was. Um, oh, it was it was Sony Misi. So you've got Marcel Brooks and the BYU lineman is basically hugging him. And Sony Misi and the BYU lineman has this entire hand in Sony Misi's face mask. Neither of these two things were called, of course. They still got to Keaton Slovis, made him rush a throw that ended up being incomplete on, on a third down. And I was like, the energy the athleticism, just having Brooks on the field, having to account for Marcel Brooks and Chad Banks and their speed just completely changes what an offense can do. Um, It's helpful in the run game because I thought they were, I thought Chad Banks, one of the ways he's improved significantly over the last couple of weeks is his, his not over pursuing on the run. Like he's done a great job of being Mm -hmm. where he needs to be filling gaps, things like that. Um, But it does completely change what that offense wants to do. And when you can drop Brooks back in coverage, then I, it just it makes your pre-snap decision making that much harder. And when he yes. can do it, so it, it's like watching, you know. And I, I don't want to bring up the 49ers because of what happened to them in Cleveland today, but uh, it, it's it's like watching Fred Warner, mm-hmm. right? Like Marcel Brooks is Fred Warner, super super light, but like it's that kind of athlete on the field that can do that many things and that versatile. It's really really hard to account for him in protection because you don't know where he's going to be, where he's going to come from, or where he's going to drop back into. Um, and I think that the we saw the tip of the iceberg of what he can do. Uh, I'm really excited to see him turn loose, especially if Will Howard uh, gets the bulk of the snaps Saturday in Manhattan. I think Marcel Brooks can be a huge difference maker um, against Kansas state. If he can stay in that 15 to 25 snap mm-hmm. count um, where, where he can, he can kind of keep, keep offensive coordinators on their heels a little bit. Yeah. And when you've got linebackers like Shad, Marcel and named or who had another fantastic yeah. day, who can who who are capable in coverage, and in Obiezor's case, very good in coverage from yeah. his time as a safety. That frees up Jamoy Hodge mm-hmm. to just be Jamoy Hodge, which is yeah. stick his nose into that line, make life in the run game difficult, hit a quarterback five or six times, and just kind of be the chaos maker that exists in the center of that defense that everybody wants to avoid. Yeah, and so. I think what we're finally starting to see from this linebacking unit is the speed necessary to do some of the things that Joe Gillespie wants to do on defense that frees up the haymakers in the middle to do what he wants them to do, which is play off of that nose tackle, be efficient in the run game and, and just, you know, be that hard nosed heavy hitter that everyone wants to avoid. So uh, I think this is a really good step forward for TCU's defense, not to mention you know, they only gave up one touchdown on the day, mm-hmm. a, a huge difference from the last couple of weeks against offenses that I would that I would say are worse than the one that they saw on Saturday. Uh, West Virginia's for sure. Maybe not. Maybe not Iowa State's at this point. They seem to be picking up some steam, but um, it was really good to see the defense feed off the energy of the crowd, get some help from the offense uh, and go and almost pitch a shutout. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, it's it's and you don't want and, and to do so when they weren't in a position where they had to for TCU to have any shot to win, right? And that's mm-hmm. kind of the position it's felt like they've been in the last two weeks is where they couldn't give up anything. They had some flexibility to play with, and yet they kept their foot on the gas pedal the entire time. Um yeah. and, and really just kept uh life miserable for BYU and, and Keaton Slovis and that BYU mm-hmm. run game, which has really, really struggled this season, uh really never got off the ground against TCU. And then by the time um that that they, you know, might have gotten something going, they were so far down that that they were forced to kind of chuck it. So yeah. uh, it's certainly the most complete game that we've seen from the Horned Frogs. Um, Sonny Dyke said, agreed with that sentiment. But like you mentioned, said there was still plenty for them to work on. There's still things to 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 work on. There was, you know, there's another busted big play. Um, said it's not it's not a TCU game. Bug Clark doesn't get in the game until he gets beat once and he tends to lock <laughs> it down from there. So um, in, the, in this instance, it didn't really hurt him too much. Um, mm-hmm. But but yeah, I mean, just uh, it was you know Josh Newton. I thought had some had some really nice plays. Um, you know, we already we already talked about Miller Bradford coming back and and played great. Um, 
and there was there's a lot of positives there's a lot of rotation on the defensive front a mm-hmm. lot of guys got snaps because of the score you, you got to work a lot of different guys in and get them some experience so uh, a lot of positives to take away from the game um, it was a, it's a win that TCU absolutely had to have yes um, when you talk about just staying in bowl contention at this point in the season um and and ahead of going to Kansas State to have that level of confidence uh in a Kansas State team that that has struggled. I mean, it still is, mm-hmm. you know, built to be successful, but Will Howard is, is really struggled. He got pulled a couple of times. Um, they put in their, their freshman, their highly touted uh, four-star freshman that all I can, I can't remember his name, but I just want to call him sunshine from Friday night. Sure. Live, or uh, yeah. from uh, Yeah. He, he looks exactly like sunshine with the long blonde hair. Remember the Titans. Um, yeah. Yes. Thank you. Remember the Titans. Um, I'm embarrassed that I, tried to say Friday night lights there. It's okay. And you know what I meant. Yeah. Yep. Um, but but super talented kid, super athletic kid. Um there's there's starting to be quarterback questions around the little apple and for the fan base. So it'll be interesting to see what happens Saturday night um in that regard. But uh you know that TCU offense look confident and mm-hmm. you know it's far too early to to bring up you know what what the future might hold here. It's far too early for that. But um it, it, it we won't talk about it necessarily, but let's just say it's being spoken about by, around TCU fans of, you know, this kid has shown some things that we had not seen this season um, that, that makes you wonder, um, like it just makes you, it makes you feel a little bit for Chandler of could this possibly happen to this kid twice? Mm-hmm. Could he possibly get Wally pipped twice? And um, we are a long way from knowing the answer to that. Uh, you know, yeah. we, we don't know the prognosis for how long Chandler's injury is going to take. So I, I think what I'm trying to convince myself and my message to the TC fan base would be, let's enjoy what happened. Let's enjoy how great Josh Super played. Let's be excited that we have a quarterback on the roster for the future that we're all excited about. Um, and then let's let the kid take this thing one game at a time because next week will be a different animal and Lubbock on a Thursday night will be a different animal. And then, you know, then you, you've got, you know, Texas Baylor, Oklahoma. So there's, mm-hmm. there's plenty, there's plenty of challenge ahead. Um, but, you know, like you said, like I said, like, like we talked about, you know, Sonny Dykes talked about it. He, he can do some really special things on a football field. Um, it, he's, he obviously has talent and ability and he processes at a really high level. Um, he, he knows this offense and he, he makes great decisions and he makes decisions quickly, but it's just one game. Yeah, we saw a glimpse. Yeah, yeah, and you know, we saw a glimpse too. That, I mean, this is the first recruit that Sonny Dykes offered when he took the head coaching job, right? Josh Huber did not have a TCU offer before mm-hmm. Sonny Dykes was the head coach, and Sonny got here what three weeks before the early signing period. Hoover was committed to Indiana, didn't have a, a Power Five offer from the state of Texas, and Sonny went loved him at SMU, offered him as soon as he got the TCU job. Flipped him, I believe, the day he offered him mm-hmm. and was the, technically the first recruit he got to commit to him at TCU outside of some kids that were already committed to him at SMU. And, you know, that I think uh, Hoover even brought that up after the game, that that meant a lot to him for, for Sonny Dykes to have that kind of faith in him. He, he said he shouldn't even be here. Yeah, he, yeah. Said, he said, I shouldn't even be here. I, I didn't have an offer like this. <clears throat> Mm-hmm. And yeah, and like so it's just it's just so cool, right? It's it's a cool story, and it's it's fun for a week. Now we'll see if it can extend to two yeah. weeks and, and beyond. Um, I don't think, at least at this moment, this changes any kind of the long term projections for TCU at quarterback, right? Like just five days ago, I was answering questions in the mailbag about do we need to hit the portal yeah. for a quarterback this offseason? and the answer is probably still yes, right? Like yeah. you don't know what your quarterback room is going to look like next year. And it, it feels premature to have that conversation, but we've been having it for about a month now. Nothing has really changed because of one good performance from Josh Hoover in that regard. Yeah. And I think that's important context too. Um, I do, I, I do want to make sure that we mention Ish Burdine because Ish mm. played a, a fantastic football game. He was in for a little, uh, I think 20 something snaps, 20, where is he? One snaps on Saturday. And he is a kid who's, similar to Marcel Brooks dealt with so many injuries over the last couple of years. He just has not been able to stay healthy, but Melissa, I, we were, we were at big 12 media day and we were talking to the players that were there from TCU and <clears throat> standing around uh, talking to Josh Newton, talking to Bud Clark, talking to Jared Wiley. And we said, you know, who are some of the guys that we need to keep an eye on this year? And without missing a beat, Ish Burdine, 
Yeah. This, this is a, he's a dude. He's a baller. You, you had Josh Newton and Bud Clark saying he might be the best defensive back on the team, mm-hmm. but he's just been hurt all the time. And so I, if this is a kid that can stay healthy, I think this is maybe the answer at that other cornerback spot across from Newton because they've been rotating Avery Helm and Mason White and Channing Canada in there, and they haven't really found an established cornerback number two. If Ish Burdine can be that guy, I think that helps this defense take even a bigger step forward because his coverage skills are amazing. Mm-hmm. And if he's healthy and capable of doing what at least his teammates think he's capable of doing – yeah. Um, I think that's going to go a long way to shoring up some things on the back end of this defense as well. Well, you know, he's another, you know, he's a veteran guy. He's a guy who's, who's been around college football and high level college football. Like he's, uh-huh. he definitely would bring just more experience and more savvy to that, to that back end of that defense. So, yeah, I think that's a great call. Um, I think he's absolutely worthy of bringing up and he just, he did, he did some really great things. He was very involved. He was always around the football when he was on the field. And I thought that that was great to see. Great to see him healthy. Um, while we're talking great stories, I, I saw a tweet from Luke Party's dad. Uh, so yes. Luke got his first snaps in, in a college football game. Um, you know, a, a walk on, a team first guy, uh, does does everything right. The guy, he's been brought up before by coaches, by players just for and, and you know, Josh Hoover made mention, too, of how important the scout team was for both the offense and defense uh, this week leading up. And so really cool to see that. I also want to shout out Brad Alfinger, who got his first career carry uh, kid. I taught um, his first two years <laughs> of high school back at the Oak Ridge School before he transferred to uh, to All Saints. That was really cool to get to be there for for that moment for him. I was super excited for him. Um, it, it's nice to see these games where you get to see some of these kids who you know, work their tails off all week long and don't get a lot of opportunities to actually play on Saturdays. That's kind of the best thing about a blowout is is seeing those guys, everyone in the stands is looking up the roster going, wait, who is that? And, and that? Yeah. See, them, see them get those moments and the opportunities. So so that was really cool. Um, and Franklin Estrada, the final and carry. Franklin Estrada, yes. When also. they very much should have just taken a knee, they gave Franklin Estrada a carry and that was awesome. And we are here for that. We are mm-hmm. absolutely here for that. Franklin Estrada is a, a number one uh, Twitter and Instagram fan for everybody. Like that dude, that dude's awesome. He's he's all over the place. So yeah, that's very, very cool to see. I'm really excited about that. Uh, there were, in addition to what was going on on the field and the celebration, it was a pregame party because of how many baseball and basketball and football and so many guys were around. Before we jump into that and the exciting of. Uh, basketball commitment world here let's take care of the rest of our show business you yes. and I today are both wearing home field apparel we didn't plan it yes no, we, did, we not. did not we did not do it it's just that we both own so much of it the chances of us wearing it are incredibly high Pretty at high. a given point yeah um home field apparel if you're not familiar um aka the good brand uh is home to some of the best vintage logos absolutely the softest t-shirts sweatshirts hoodies, joggers, uh, bomber jackets, hats now. I mean, they do a little bit of everything, but just some of of the best, the coolest, uh, the most comfortable college athletic athleisure wear, if you will, um, available anywhere in the country. Um, The great throwback logos, you've got the script frogs. I've got the old school frog. Um, They have just just some of the, the best vintage looks. And TCU has such a long history of having very, very weird mascots. Mm-hmm. Home Field Apparel's got them all. Uh, the sweater frog is a personal favorite. The, the give a, fight them on the ice sweatshirt is an epic one. They were kind yes. enough to give us an opportunity to help you guys save some money when you do inevitably want to spend your entire paycheck on Home Field Apparel. Uh, you can, oh, my dog is going to start barking, right? Hey, I am doing an ad read, Bowman. Can you not? <laughs> um, uh, so uh, you can save 15%. Hey, excuse me, sir. This is business. Uh, you can save 15% off your first order uh, by using the code FROGSIN15, F-R-O-G-S-I-N-1-5. And 10% off every additional order. Um, Homefield Apparel is kind enough to sponsor us and all of the podcasts on the Republic of Football Network under the Dave Campbell's Texas Football Umbrella. And we are super grateful for their support and also their creativity and also their amazing t-shirts, sweatshirts, joggers, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I'm very excited because I have homecoming week this week and one day is class colors and the class that I moderate just happens to have purple as a color, which means I get to show up at school in full home field apparel uh, head to toe. And that's really all I want in life is to wear this, these clothes as much as humanly possible. If they let me wear hoodies in the office where I work full time, I would absolutely be wearing this frog script hoodie in my big sky conference hoodie 
Yeah. Over and over and over and over and over again. Uh, it is like 60 degrees right now. I think it's actually dropped below 60 now because it's Saturday, it's Sunday evening here in Texas and the sun went down. We left our back door open like all day today. It was wow. so perfect. I threw, I had the hoodie and the gym shorts on, the house shoes on, dogs were going back and forth in and out. It was just awesome to be able to throw yeah. on a home field. I left and, Texas. And vibe. Yeah, I left Texas and it was in the 50s. I landed in California and it was like 85 and I was just, what have I done? Yeah. What have I done? It's the rare, yeah. rare switch. Yes, where it's It'll be worse back to in California here. than Texas in October. Like that mm-hmm. almost never happens, so. It's true. Um, but you know what did happen this week, Melissa, is that TCU landed another basketball recruit, two actually, um, in back-to-back days. I believe I talked about the first one on last pod on the last pod, Ashton Simmons, a combo guard uh, who has committed to the Frogs for the class of 2024. He is now joined by Malik Diallo, a 6'10 center out of Utah, originally from Mali. Lately, he's been going to high school in Utah, had a BYU offer, uh, decided to come to Fort Worth instead. And the addition of Simmons and Diallo to TCU's recruiting class alongside the the original, the OG commit, as I like to call him, Micah Robinson, uh, gives TCU the number 14 class in the country for the 2024 recruiting cycle, Melissa. That is third best in the Big 12 behind Arizona and Kansas, right ahead of Baylor. Um, and this is, uh, just another one of those signals about where TCU basketball is headed, like what direction they're heading in because they've hit the portal so incredibly well, the last three years running. And now we're starting to see the fruit of the, the on-court labor bear out in high school recruiting too. Diallo is a kid who he's the number 24 ranked center in the country. He's, I think the number 132 overall recruit, um, 6'10", 215, shot blocker, athletic rebounder, elite defender, really good around the rim offensively. Like this is a kid who uh, TCU is now recruiting at a level out of high school where kids can come in and potentially contribute right away, which uh, this is a, a huge divergence from where this program was even five years ago. Um, and that five years ago, I was talking about, you know, we're talking about a recruiting class that I think was one year after Desmond Baines. And so uh, y'all are going to see what some of the freshmen on the current class on the current roster can do specifically Jace Posey. And now we're talking about a class next year. That's got a couple bodies on it that could come in and do something similar and contribute right away. Uh, and, and that's a very, very, very exciting proposition for TCU basketball. It puts you in really rarefied air at this point. Um, You're playing in the best conference in the country. The additions to this conference have only made it stronger to Mm -hmm. be able to work the transfer portal at the level that Jamie Dixon and his staff have shown that they can work it and then also recruit college ready contributors that are incoming freshmen. I I mean, this we see this every single year in the tournament is for every team that finds a bunch of one and dones or a couple of transfer guys and makes a run to the elite eight or the final four, there's two or three teams full of veteran senior guys that play great together that have that great chemistry. And so, you know, can TCU take the leap and be a blue blood program? I mean, that's it. That's not necessarily out of the question, but it's a far leap from where they've been, right? Like you got to, you got to advance to the second weekend of the tournament before you can talk, start talking about all that. But if you can right. recruit at a high level, if you can be right behind Arizona and Kansas in recruiting rankings for the conference, not too shabby. Now you're, you're talking about a team that can be a sweet 16 team that can be an elite eight team that, that can get, can advance CCU basketball on the national stage to a level to where you don't just expect them to make the tournament, but you, you expect them to start hanging the Sweet 16 and Elite Eight and potentially Final Four banners and beyond. I mean, we've seen Baylor do this, mm-hmm. right? We've seen a non-Blue Blood program get to the point to where you have to consider them one of the elite programs on the national stage and do it. it took time. You know, it, it took them really 10, 12 years to do it. And when you invest in a coach, if you invest in a program and you you allow something to build slowly, you can build a foundation for a program that can be a, a big time player and Jamie Dixon has has spent some time on the maybe slightly warm seat from the TCU fan base, but TCU administration has absolutely believed in this guy from the beginning. 
And I think he's finally bearing out kind of the promise of what he came to build. It has not happened overnight, but we have to remember how down bad TCU basketball was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. Like this is, it was not going to be able to be fixed overnight, even if they were able to bring in some top tier talent. Um, So super excited about the future of the program. You've talked a lot about some of the guys still on TCU's hot list. Some commitments should be coming in the coming week, coming weeks. So some big guys should be making their decisions. Um, so what is already an elite class might just be getting better here in the in the coming weeks ahead of um, kind of the the November signing period, which mm-hmm. uh, I believe basketball uh, generally falls under. Yes, November 9th is the start of the signing period for basketball. It runs through the 11th, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I put in a crystal ball for a kid named David Punch who is a four-star power forward from Harker Heights. It's down to TCU, NC State, and Penn State. He's making his announcement on Saturday. Um, I feel very confident that he's going to be a Horned Frog. Um, had a chance to catch up with him on his official visit, uh, and he, he said that he liked how, how close TCU was compared to the other schools that he was listening to. But I also would not count out NC State in this run for him as well because I know that they're, they're in pretty good shape with him at this point too so if 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 tcu does end up adding him to their recruiting class we're talking about like a top 10 class in the country um which is wild uh a long way to go to close out that recruitment this week though and so hopefully the coaching staff can lock it in and get him get him committed because he would be another fantastic addition to the class it's fun it's fun to be in these conversations you know it's fun to have you know we were were talking pre-game on saturdays tcu football was you know struggling a little bit it's really fun to have so much enthusiasm and excitement around basketball and you know tcu baseball had Mm -hmm. like 100 kids in town or or something like yeah they had a good number a good number of kids so the crowd of baseball players that we saw on the sideline in warm-ups on saturday was a lot of current players and their families obviously in town for homecoming a a big list of uh, current commits that were in town and then four uncommitted kids who i'm going to have some information up about uh them on horn frog blitz this week if you follow john delora on twitter TCU's assistant baseball coach, you know that he tweeted out the same thing he tweets out every time TCU gets a commitment. He tweeted it out three times on Saturday. Um, So we should be seeing... It's not a bad Saturday. (laughs) So we should be seeing some announcements here in the next week or two about some new faces joining future Horn Frog baseball classes because they had a, a pretty successful recruiting weekend. And as cool as that is, and as, as much fun as it is to have guys commit on the spot in Fort Worth because the vibes were so immaculate Saturday, I mean, it could not have been a more perfect thing. The best part of TCU baseball's involvement with TCU's football game was still me getting to stand between you and Brian Howard and feel short. <laughs> The first one in my life that's ever happened. Um, I, I, at one point, like we were having a conversation, the three of us and, and like you guys started talking and I looked up at you and I looked up at him and I was like, guys, I've never felt like this in my entire life as an almost six foot tall woman uh, where I felt tiny and it was cool. And I, I enjoyed every second of it. I really did enjoy seeing Howie and, and Evan Skaug back, uh, mm-hmm. you know, at TCU, you know, both serving as, as grad assistants. Uh, that is really, really cool for the program. Um, yeah. Just two, two of the best human beings that have come through TCU. And who, I mean, what better guys would you want telling these these potential future frogs about their experience i mean mm-hmm. you know four college world series no you know, both, both spent time um in mlb farm systems just a lot of just a lot of experience a lot of wisdom and just like i said just some of the best human beings on the entire planet yeah and you know it, it's just the hands-on day-to-day stuff that happens uh, in a baseball practice it's so invaluable to have guys like that as well because you know there's an instance uh last week where uh, during a scrimmage, Trip Landers, uh, who's a freshman catcher, uh, was having some hard times behind the plate and in the scrimmage, the pitches in the dirt. He just he wasn't coming up with them. And so, in between innings, who better than Evan Skaug to walk over there and just hey, think about doing it this way. Think about where your glove is. Think about how you're positioning your chest and and how your wh- what your legs are doing right, and just kind of walking him through a strategy for better handling balls in the dirt. Uh, and you saw an immediate 
shift in the right direction from Landers the next half inning when he was behind the plate again, getting his chest plate in the right spot to bat, to block some balls, keep him from getting to the backstop, that kind of thing. And so it's those little bits of, of knowledge that Skalk and Big Game Howie both bring back to TCU that, you know, sometimes it hits a little bit different when it comes from a guy who's been through the program than it does a coach who's kind of getting on you day after day after day. So uh, just uh, two, two fantastic additions to this coaching staff, plus Dave Lawn, who we have not talked enough about yeah. um, uh, coming in as, as a pitching coach as well. This is, they got a lot to replace on this squad this year, a lot to replace. Um, I sat down with Kirk Sarlos last week to talk a little bit about it. And so that'll be up on the site uh, this week as well. But um Oh, that reminds me, Melissa, because we're recording this during game one of the Rangers Astros. Yeah, you're a little serious. Okay. Yeah. I have it paused. I have not watched. I have not checked my really? phone. I'm just going to run the commercial, wow. run through the commercials. Uh, but I will say my last on the record question to Kirk last week was who does he have in this game? Because you, you'll remember that he pitched mm-hmm. for the Astros. He was a part of uh, a no hitter with the Astros. Um, and I can say safely, because this was an on-the-record thing, that Kirk Sarlos, former Astros pitcher, picked the Texas Rangers to win this series. So I don't that's, know what that says. That's interesting, too, because, you know, I guess right now the closer association with TCU is definitely the Rangers. And so They've like got the a great him. relationship. They've got yeah, a great relationship with the Rangers. To, yeah, now they do play in the Shriners Classic quite often, but mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. really an Astros thing. But so. how can you, how, how often can you just, because a game is potentially being rained out on a weekend series, just call up the, the Rangers organization and say, hey, you guys are out of town. Yeah. Uh, and our game's going to get rained out. Could we move it to Globe Life? And then the ballpark just says, yeah, come on. Yes, and that happens in less than 24 hours. They get it yeah. ready for a college baseball game to happen. So, which is something that happened last year, right? That happened the Saturday of the Baylor weekend. They weren't going to get that game in unless it got moved indoors and, and the Rangers accommodated them. And so obviously there's a lot going on there, but I just thought it was a fun little note that, that Kirk's picking yeah, the Rangers. A little, so a little nugget. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that's going to just about do it for this episode of the Frogs Insider Podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, make sure that you have subscribed wherever you get your podcasts. Go hit that like button on the YouTube video. Leave us a comment below there as well. Um, you can follow Melissa on Twitter at the Coach Melissa. You can follow me there at Frog Preacher. And we'll be back later this week to preview TCU's road trip to Manhattan to play Kansas State. Uh, Oof, we'll see. It's the first game. Fun fact that TCU is not the favorite. Oh, wow. This season, they are a four and a half point dog to the Wildcats, which I mean, is a pretty small line mm-hmm. for a road game. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. But until then go frogs. Choo choo on the Hoover bus <laughs> on the bus <laughs> on the Hoover hype train. Sorry. On the bus. Yeah, put me, I'm on the bus. I'm on this, the Hoover school bus. Goodbye. <laughs>